The mic's hot. Don't say anything you wouldn't want your mother to hear. And let's pray. Make us watchful and alert, O Lord our God, that when he comes, your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, will not find us sleeping in sin or distracted with fears, but awake, strong in faith, active in service, and rejoicing in your praises. Through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. Bless you. Um, okay. Any questions uh, before we start diving into this? Any questions about anything from last week? Anything at all? This is another rule of catechumenate. There's no dumb questions. If you have a question, it means that there's something you'd like to know, and that's not a dumb thing. So I just don't want to move ahead if there are things that we need to go back to touch on. Okay. Yes, sir. For baptism, why is it important we're baptized in the name of the Lord? We're going to talk about that today. Okay. So all that question, that question will be answered coming up. Yeah. Um, anything else? Memphis asked me after class, so am I dead? And I said, not anymore. <laughs> you were, but now you're not. You were dead, and then you died, and now you're alive because you're in Christ. And uh, now, you know, what's there to worry about now? So this is... Um, this is why there, there are some tricky things about being a pastor sometimes. Here's one of them. I get, you get a phone call from somebody who says, blah, 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 my husband died. I'd like to have the funeral in the church. And I have no idea who they are. They're not in the books. I've never seen them before. I've never met them before. I don't know anything then how do you decide if you're going to do the funeral or not? This is the you be me game. <laughs> so do you do the funeral or do you not? Yes. If they were baptized. If they were baptized, right. See, I, might, I don't have to know somebody to do a funeral, although it helps. And I've said this before, but from the moment that I first meet parishioners, uh, I begin to plan their funeral sermon in my head. So all of you, young or old, I already have the inklings of the kind of way that I would go about preaching your funeral, which is not as morbid as it sounds. In fact, that's actually a compliment because the pastor's job is to prepare you for death, prepare you to die well. Why? Because we live in the knowledge that we've died before we die, so we don't die when we die. So what's the big deal? Okay, so um, I think Bruce Bierman's probably, I've got his whole thing already done. <laughs> okay, so, you know, uh, there is a personal aspect because you are all my children. In, uh, you're my spiritual children, I'm your spiritual father, so I know you in, in that kind of a way. I don't know a stranger in that way, so I can't speak in a way that is as personal, but that's also okay because somebody else will speak in a way that's personal, and that's Christ. If you're baptized, then I at least have something to say. I can talk about what baptism is and what it does. 
Uh, so generally speaking, one of the big determining factors about a funeral just happens to be, are you baptized? If you're baptized, I have something to say. If you're not baptized, I, I can't do anything for you. I can't say anything about you because the Lord hasn't. And my job is just to say what the Lord says. Pastor, if yes. you say no, I mean, that stops there. Then, then there's nothing that I can do. I can, I can, we can pray that the Lord would have mercy, but if the person who died wasn't baptized, I can't do a Christian funeral because the entire Christian funeral calls upon baptism. It starts with baptism. We talked about this last week. The funeral, Paul, and the remembrance of baptism. I can't do anything without baptism. Yeah, and I don't have an original thought between these ears because the only thing that comes out of this mouth is what the Lord says. So, let's dive in here. Remember, death and resurrection. Baptism is death and resurrection. It's one way. You're coming into the church. You're drowning and dying. That's in the small catechism, how we talk about baptism. The old Adam in us should drown and die. He drowned and died the first time in baptism, and somehow the old Adam's kind of a good swimmer. So, you know, you hold him under until the bubbles stop coming up, and you think, we got him. And then you wake up one morning, and he's treading water up at the top again. And you think, goodness gracious, what am I going to do about this? Well, baptism is going to be the thing that takes care of that. So it's a daily thing, baptism. It doesn't happen. It happens physically just once, but spiritually it's ongoing, which is, again, why every time you come to church, you go through your baptism. Because you, don't, you never say, I was baptized. Grammar really is important. It matters. You never say, I was baptized. You say, I am baptized because the event that took place at a certain point in the past, for most of you when you were a baby, is ongoing. It, it's, it began, but it hasn't ended. In fact, it never ends. It's, it's eternal. It's a, it's a ray. You know, in, when you took your math and there's the difference between a line and a ray, the ray is the one that has the point, and then it goes on infinitely in one direction. That's your baptism. Okay, and remember what I said about the gospel. What is the gospel? This is one of the most important things for you to remember for the whole catechumenate. What is the gospel? It's the touch of Jesus. Mm-hmm. The gospel is the touch of Jesus. Touch is such an important thing. Jesus is going to touch you, and he's going to touch you in all kinds of ways. Why do you think, let's, let's look at this, why do you think that every sacrament has something that is physical attached to it. When you're baptized, you actually get touched. A hand touches you, water touches you. That's the gospel. That's Jesus. He's touching you in that way. The proclamation of the word. When, when the word is proclaimed, when you go up and you listen to a sermon, this is the really neat thing about, about physics and acoustics is when I speak a word to you, the word itself is touching you. Because it travels through the air on the breath. If you're in midweek, what do we call the breath? Memphis? Yeah, what's the fun word I taught you, though? Ruach. Ruach, yeah. It's the Hebrew. 
That's the root, the spirit in the Hebrew is the ruach. And the ruach, Hebrew is, Hebrew is a very guttural language. It's like German, but with more phlegm. Uh, and the, the ruach is the breath of God, which is the spirit. And when God speaks, he speaks through the ruach, through the breath, just like you. Now I take a breath. Now I use the breath to speak. If you don't have air, if you don't have breath, you can't speak. The word travels in the breath and it touches your ear. The whole reason that you can hear is because the word comes and it goes into your ear and it hits your eardrum and your eardrum vibrates. But how does it vibrate? Because the word comes in like little drumsticks and goes do 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 you hear that? Do 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 that's the word. It's a touch. So the gospel is the touch of Jesus. It's not just this is the gospel of the Lord, this book right here. And if you don't have the New King James, I don't know if it's the real gospel or not. That's just a joke. Okay. There's words that are written down on the page, but Christ is the word, and the touch of Christ is the gospel. That's why you stand. We say this is the word of the Lord, and we'll talk more about this, but the, what is the gospel? Why do you stand for the gospel? Because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the words of Jesus that are touching. It's the deeds of Jesus where he's touching and where the words and deeds of Jesus are, there he is. So you stand because he's there and he's touching you. Okay? So the gospel is touch. Now, um, like we just kind of said, because the gospel is touch, there's lots of different facets of the gospel. Jesus can touch you in all kinds of ways. We just talked about one. Hey, preaching of the word. He touches you in your ears. It's like when he goes to the the deaf man, you know, and he gives him a wet willy. Now listen, you know. So Jesus does that to you. Every time, this is going to ruin a sermon for you, but every sermon is a little bit of a wet willy to you. Jesus comes over and he, are you listening? There you go, I'm touching your ears. There you go, now you can hear better, now you can be better. I'm going to get up in there, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you, I'm going to touch you. That's the way that it works. That's preaching. But baptism is another one of these facets of the gospel because Jesus touches you in baptism. And uh, you're never the same after you receive the touch of Jesus, especially baptism. You can never be the same after that. And the reason why is because the name of Jesus gets put on you. The pastor puts the name of Jesus on you, true or false? Uh, oh, why do you have to do that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was sort of an uno reverse, wasn't it? I mean, technically you can say yes. The point I'm trying to make, though, is it's not pastor's game. And it's not pastor's show. It's Christ's show. It's his game. It's his job. It's his work. So when you go to baptism, the name is put on you by the Lord himself. He stamps you. He, uh, so, some people would say that, that baptism is like a holy tattoo. Once it's on, you can't get it off. I don't, I, I don't have anything wrong with that. In fact, part of being in the Roman army, this is something my mentor talks a lot about, you would get something called a sacramentum. 
You'd join the Roman army and you'd get a tattoo. And then you'd go out on the battlefield and you'd fight and they'd know who you were because you had the tattoo. They knew where you belonged. So when you raise your sword to go hit somebody and you see that their arm is up and you see their tattoo, you say, oh, wait a minute, you're a friend. You're part of the 14th Legion. I'm part of the 14th Legion. Hey, look at that. We don't fight each other. We know who we are. We know where we belong. But the way I like to think of it is as a brand. Because Jesus is the shepherd and you are the sheep. And baptism is entering into his sheepfold. And to get in, you get branded. And you bear the brand of the Lord. And you can never get rid of it. Now, maybe you want to, and maybe you leave the fold and go someplace else, but the brand's always with you. Okay. Uh, so, he puts the name on you when you're baptized, and the name is a powerful name. How so? Well, let's look at this. Second Chronicles is the first place I want to look. There's a ton of these places. We won't really only have time for a few. If you want me to tell you more of them, I, I can do that at a later time. We'll look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And while you're looking that up, I'll give you just a little bit of background. 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. Uh, the background is this is when, this is all part of the dedication of the, the construction of and the dedication of the temple. Which king builds the temple? Solomon. Mm -hmm. The son of David. David, who asked for wisdom, what a good boy, and then didn't use it. What a bad boy. Okay. The Lord did say bad things would happen if you got a king, Israel. And they said, no, but we want one anyway. Which is just a great story by itself. Why do they want a king? It's right there in the text. Be like the other yeah, to be like everybody else. <laughs> Why do you want a king? God says, because they have a king. We have a king at home. Oh, it's not the same. Okay, so 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We'll start at verse 12. When, then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place, that's the temple, for myself as a house of sacrifice, as a house. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Why? Because they're called by his name. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. Why? For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name will be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. My name will be there. I will put my name 
on this house, he says. And there's, uh, there's another one in uh, the Kings that's talking about this too, and the Lord says the same thing. This is the place where I will live. And how will you know that I live here? Because I will put my name there. And the name of the Lord is the fullness of the Lord and the fullness of his power. So you are baptized in the name of the Lord, the fullness of God. You are baptized into Christ in the name of God, which is the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the triune God. That name is put on you. And what does St. Paul say about you? I'm not going to jump ahead to that. But what does he say? You, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Hey, guess what? I live in you now. You are my temple. You are my house. And how do you know that you are God's house? Because he puts his name on you. And when he puts his name on you, that means that the fullness of God dwells there and that what has the name on it belongs to God. There's a really big myth in the world, especially nowadays, and the myth is that you can be independent, that you can be your own boss, that you can belong to yourself. And the reality is you never belong to yourself. Kids, who do you belong to? Parents. Your parents. Thank you, child. <laughs> who do you belong to? You belong to your parents. Parents, who do you belong to? To your parents and to your children. That doesn't mean children have authority over their parents, but it means you do belong to each other. Husbands, who do you belong to? Your wives. You're not your own. Paul even says your body's not even your own. You don't get to do with yourself what you want to do with yourself. You get to do what your wife wants you to do. So sit down and watch the Lifetime holiday movie. Okay. And wives, who do you belong to? You belong to your husbands. You're not your own either. You are not your own. Your body's not your own. So sit down and watch Die Hard every now and then. <laughs> but we have, that's a Christmas tradition. My brother and I would always watch Die Hard on Christmas Eve because, you know, the big debate is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not, and it absolutely is. He says, ho, ho, ho. Okay. <laughs> If you are over the age of 18 and you have not seen Die Hard, you should. It's a fun, it's a fun romp, okay? Pastor's maybe telling you a little too much about himself, okay? You don't belong to yourself, but there is a spiritual reality there too. Do you belong to yourself when you're cold dead on the slab? No, you don't. There's a tag on your foot. You don't belong to yourself, you belong to the devil. We say that in the baptismal liturgy. There's the big thing, baptism starts with an exorcism. Okay. We are conceived and born in sin and are therefore under the power of the devil until Christ comes to claim us as his own. 
So you are not owned. When, when Satan comes to Jesus while he's in the wilderness after his baptism, Mark's gospel is the best because it says, Ekbalo, Jesus comes up out of the water and immediately he's ekbaloed by the spirit. That means picked up and chucked like a fast pitch in the major leagues. The spirit rips him out of the water. He's still dripping and then punts him out into the wilderness with the wild beasts. <laughs> That's what Mark's gospel says. Isn't that great? John and Mark, those are my two favorites. Okay. And he's there, and what's one of the temptations? Come up on this high mountain and look at this. And what does he say? What's the temptation? Look at all this stuff. And it can all be yours if you bow down and worship me. And I remember in confirmation, the, the fellow who was not a pastor who was teaching said, well, this is a really stupid temptation because it all belongs to Jesus. The devil doesn't have anything to give. And I remember thinking at the ripe old age of 12, something doesn't seem right about that statement. The devil is not dumb. He doesn't make stupid temptations, not even to the Lord. So what's the point of the temptation then? He doesn't, Jesus doesn't own that. If Jesus owned it, if it belonged to him, he wouldn't have to come and claim it. He wouldn't have to die. That's the temptation. Hey, listen, I know what you're here for. You're here to die. That's the only way to get him back. But listen, 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 listen. Let's just skip the dying part. Just, you know, worship me, and then I'll just give it to you. Then you won't have to die, and everything will be just fine. That's the temptation. I'll give it to you. You won't have to claim it. So either you belong to the devil, with the power of sin, death, and the devil, we would say, or you belong to God. You are owned. So when you're baptized, you belong to God. You're not your own anymore. You're branded. You're now in the fold. And there's a shepherd that's going to lead you. And that's actually a really nice thing. You mean you, I don't have to think for myself? No, he'll take you. He's going to show you where the good food is to eat. You mean it's not good to eat here? No, don't you worry. He'll give you all the things that are good for you. Oh, okay. That's actually a pretty sweet deal. C.S. Lewis talks an awful lot about this, the idea of ownership. Who owns you? Who possesses you? And you know that the Lord possesses you because you have his name, because you are his house, and wherever his name is, there is the fullness of his person, there is where he lives, and his ears will be open and his eyes will be open. So you come here to church, and this is where he is, and his ears and his eyes are open here. And guess what else is open? His hands are open to give. Okay? And all of this is in the name. So when we start our services, everything we do begins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because there's great power in the name and we're gathering according to the name in the place that has his name as people who have his name, calling upon the person whose name has promised us that he's always going to hear us and that he's always going to be with us. Hey, where his name is, there he is. We want to make sure he's here. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, here he is. There's his name. So, uh, when the gospel gets on you, it marks you, and you belong to God. Let's jump to Revelation. Excuse me. 
Let's jump to Revelation. We're going to look at three short little things in Revelation. First to Revelation 7. This is where my confirmation verse came from, Revelation 7. I picked it myself, which I, as an adult I think is kind of sad. It's nice to have the pastor know his children so well that he gives them a verse, and that's sort of a neat little present, that they get to, what's my verse going to be? It's a big secret. And then you get it, and it's a verse that he really th thought about and wrestled to give to you. Well, I picked out my own, and I thought, well, I don't want to be like everybody else, so I'm going to pick a verse from Revelation. <laughs> okay. Oh, children. Now I'm stuck with it. Okay, Revelation, we'll start uh, just at verse 1. After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Wow, on their foreheads. What's the deal? Hey, if you're not, if you're not coming to the altar to get the Eucharist, what does pastor do to you other than shock you? <laughs> It's always Leela for some reason. Like, it never happens to anybody else. It's only her. And it's always a big one, too. I can see it. It arcs from my hand. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that's the Lord trying to tell you something or not. <laughs> okay. But what, what happens to you when you go up there? Yeah, you get a blessing, but what's the blessing? What, where is it? On your forehead. If you come to confession and absolution, where is it that you get a mark? On your forehead. When you come to church on Ash Wednesday, where do the ashes go? On your forehead. When you come to corporate confession and individual absolution, which is on Ash Wednesday or Maundy Thursday, where does pastor put his hands and where does he absolve you? On your forehead. Hey, guess what? When you're baptized, you also, we do a fun little extra thing, which is we seal you with chrism. This is an old, 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 old tradition of the church. You get chrismed, which is the Christing oil, sealed with the Spirit. So there's usually a little dish that I have with some holy oil. The first smell that you smell when you become alive is the smell of myrrh. And then the last thing you smell is the smell of myrrh when you are anointed for death. The first smell and the last smell, myrrh. When you come to church on Ash Wednesday, there's a very pungent, sweet smell in the church. Guess what it is? It's myrrh because you're going to die. But it's okay to die because you already died. So what's the big deal? Okay. So you're Christed, you're sealed. You're baptized, you're sealed. The mark is on you, the name is on you, and where the name is, there is the fullness of the one who bears the name, that is God. There's the fullness of God, there's his open ears, there's his open eyes, there's his open hands, and he lives there. All of him. Now, we're going to jump ahead. Revelation 14. Revelation 14. 
Just verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. His father's name written on their foreheads. The name! Would you look at that? Hey, that means they're baptized. They've got the name. And then the last one is Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Ha! Water of life. Hey, guess what? What are the apostles in the Didache? This, this was just sort of a passing comment last week. What kind of water are you supposed to be baptized in? You remember? Living water. Hey, look at this. It's the water of life. I'll scoot over to this is a Sorry, sometimes, you know, we get the tables arranged in this way. I try and fit as many people as we can in in a more intimate kind of a way, but it means that some of you get the short straw and you have to sit with your knees up against the table legs. So, you know what St. Paul says, we must go through many discomforts and tribulations before we enter the kingdom. So, you know, just a reminder. Okay, so uh, there's living water, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Why are you baptized into the name? Because the name gives you access to all of this. Because where he dwells, there is all of this. And where do you see the physical reminder that all of this is there? In the church. There's always levels to stuff, folks always levels. So when you read the Bible, it's never just one thing. It's like an onion. It's this, and 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 it's this. Lots of things all together. You should be able to read this little bit in Revelation and already have your synapses going, oh, what about this? What about baptism? What about this? The number eight? What about all of these things firing and firing and firing? That's why it's hard to read the Bible. You can't just sit and say, hey, well, I'm going to sit down for some light Sunday evening reading and just crack open the Bible. Because you have to think when you read the Bible. You can only digest it in short little bits. It's hard to take all of that in. But this is the name. All of this is there. So uh, the reminders of the name are everywhere. Again, when you have the baptismal font right there, you're reminded that you were baptized in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, that baptism is the sacramentum. It's the, the brand. It's the work of God. It's the resurrection. It gets you in. Which is why one of the things that you may do is when you walk by it, put your fingers in and make the sign of the cross. Because that's your baptismal water. And in, you know, this is a fun thing in case people thought that making the sign of the cross was a Catholic thing. If you just open up your hymnal to page 3, I think it's 324. No, excuse me, 327. Three twenty-seven. Look at this. What does a Christian do? Well, 
Section 2, Daily Prayers. How the head of the family should teach his household to pray morning and evening. In the morning when you get up, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you go to bed, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Hey, look at that. It's right in the catechism. Make the sign of the cross. Why? Because you're tracing the sign that's already on you. You're, you're reminding yourself of the name that you have. The name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The name of your baptism. The brand. It's like looking in the mirror and going, Hey, alright, it's still there. Isn't this cool? And what does it do for me? To, oh, that's right. All of this stuff. There's power in the name. And you get to call God by His name. There's power in a name. Uh, so let's look at something here. I'm going to have a couple quotes for you while I pass this around. This is one of my favorite handouts. Look at you, you've already got it. Uh, to make it faster, I'm going to split it up here. Hey, there's a sign with every sign. Everything in church means something. Everything in church means something. So here's a quote from you. This is from Cyprian of Carthage. He says, In this sign of the cross is salvation to all who are marked on their foreheads. Isn't that cool? Especially after all those readings from Revelation. In this cross is the mark of salvation for all who have it on their foreheads. The name. Remember, the name marks the house. The name marks who, excuse me, who God is and the fullness of himself. It's his power. It's who he is. It's where he is. It's what he does. And it gives you all kinds of benefits. And then this is from Cyril of Jerusalem. If you are somebody who likes to read theology, the catechetical lectures of Cyril of Jerusalem are great. And you want to know what the catechetical lectures are? It's the catechumenate. It's Cyril of Jerusalem's catechumenate. When he got all of his catechumens together and they went to church and then they went out and they had a meal and they sat down and they drank coffee and ate baked goods and he said, now let me tell you a little something, something. Okay. And this is what he said. Let us not therefore be ashamed of the cross of Christ, but even though another hides it, you ought openly to seal it on your brow that the devils beholding that royal sign may flee far away trembling. I mean, think about that for a minute. Every time you make the sign of the cross, devils run away from you screaming with their tails between their legs. Now, who doesn't want to do that? Heck, I'd do that all day. I wish I could see it. Isn't that fun? The devils run away. Make this sign when you eat and drink. When you sit or lie down, when you rise up, when you speak, and when you walk, in a word, make the sign of the cross on every occasion. For he who was here crucified is above in the heavens. Where the sign of the cross is, where the name of God is, there Jesus is. Lord, have mercy. There he is. And guess what? He has mercy because you have his name and you called upon him and he's with you. The name, power in the name. And you'll see this much later on in this course. The idea of power in the name is so incredibly important. So that's something to remember. Power in the name.
Okay? Now let's look at this. Did you ever wonder why I make this lazy thing when I'm talking to you, sending you away from communion, absolving your sins, speaking blessing to you? Hey, because when I make the sign of the cross to you, I'm, whole, I'm giving you something. And the short answer is, this is the name of Jesus right here. It's shorthand. I don't have enough fingers for the whole name. <laughs> I'd have to drink some radioactive waste to do that. Okay. But, so this is shorthand. This is really old. This is an ancient thing in the church that, that the pastor would do this because it spells the name. So it looks lazy, but in order actually to do it right, you have to practice it. But it means something. Everything in the church means something. Here's an I. Here's an, a C, which is the Greek S. Here's an X, and here's another C. So that's the first and last letter of Jesus, which is Jesus, and the first and last letter of Christus, which is Christ, Jesus Christ. It's the name of Jesus, spelled out right in the hand, in the flesh, which is the same name that you have marked on your forehead. If you pay close attention, I don't know if you can see this because my back is to you, but in consecrating the elements, when I speak the verba, you, I know that you can at least see that I'm making the sign over them, but I touch them. Why? Hey, because the gospel's touch. Touch is so important. You touch the elements, but you touch them with the name of Jesus. Bum, 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 bum. There's the name. Okay. If you go to a funeral, one thing you'll notice is I don't just walk up to a casket and go like this. May, the God, may God preserve this body. I'll make this, the name of Jesus and put the name of Jesus on that. And make the sign of the cross with the name of Jesus. When I give you the blessing, it's the name of Jesus. Okay, so uh, that's the name, the physical representation of the name that is already branded into you, but being put upon you again and again and again and again and again and again in the remembrance of the name. This is a very important thing, which we'll also talk about later, but remembrance isn't just saying, hey, do you remember that time when? It's something active. When God remembers his promises, it means God is actually accomplishing what he promised. It isn't that God said, oh, shoot, that's right, I did make that promise. Whoops, forgot, but I remember now. It's that he's making good on it. Something's happening. So this spells out the name of Christ, but it also does something else for you. It tells you about the Christ. How many fingers are up? Three. Three. How many fingers are down? Two. Two. What's three? Trinity. The Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is the name of God and the baptismal name. What's the importance of two? The two natures of Jesus who came to you in the flesh, just like this fleshly hand that has a fleshly name, two natures, which is the divine nature, he's God, and the human nature, he's also man. It's Jesus. This is a confession of faith and a declaration of the name. So here's, you know, here's, this is my encouragement to you that if you don't make the sign of the cross, you should start. Not because there's a law that says, hey, get to it, kids, but because it's such a great 
thing because it's of great, such great benefit. And think of what St. Cyril of Jerusalem says. Every time you do it, the devils run away from you. I mean, if that's not motivation enough, I don't know what is. You know, they're like the dog that's in trouble. Off they go. Okay? So uh, here's a little lesson for you then. When you make the sign of the cross, you can do sort of the same thing that the pastor does. Because you take your hand and you put two fingers down for the two natures and you take three fingers and you put them together. Three persons in one. And then you go, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you can end in the middle. And I, now, there's no law about which is the best way, but here's the way I encourage you to do it, okay? Father, Son, right, left. Right, left. The Anglican Church does it that way. This is opposite of the way that, that Rome, the Roman Catholics would do it. It doesn't really matter. But there's sort of a rhyme that the Anglican, the Anglican Church uses, which is, of course, see, okay, catechumen, it's fun. Spectacles, testicles, wallet, and watch. <laughs> okay. Up, down, right, left. Don't say that in church. <laughs> Okay. But why, yeah, why, why that way? Because when I make the sign of the cross over you, I go up, down, left, right. Which means that when you're going to the right first and I'm going to my left first, it's mirroring. Which means that even if I'm standing up in the chancel and I'm putting the name of Jesus on you, and I'm making the sign of the cross on you, you're feeling it on your own flesh. You're mirroring the way that I do it, and you can actually feel it. The name of Jesus is there touching you. The gospel, again and again and again and again. Every time you're here, there's the gospel. Okay? So there's a really great, this whole big chunk from um, Pastor Eckert's book, why a layman's guide to the liturgy we have this in the library if you're ever curious to read it. it's actually really short but it's great if you don't know a lot of why we do things in the liturgy why does this happen why do we turn this way why do we light the candles this way why do we always start on the right and go to the left all that kind of stuff it's that that book has a lot of that stuff in it but the, this last little paragraph down at the bottom this uh this the pastoral benediction, oh, excuse me, that's a typo. Thus, the pastoral benedictions are made with the sign of the cross, while the fingers designate the one who was crucified on the cross, namely Jesus Christ. The blessing is therefore made with the visible sign that it is Jesus Christ the crucified who is the source and the cause of the blessings given. Jesus is the one who does the blessing. Jesus is the one who gives you the blessing. Jesus is the blessing all according to the name, okay? Any questions about any of this? Yes? Is this basically the inverse of the mark of the beast and the mark of the beast in Revelation also on your forehead and your hand and that's like the, the Satan's parody of, of this? Yes, I know what you mean to say, but I'm going to I'm going to tweak what you said. This is not the inverse of the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is the inverse of this. 
And this is me just being picky about it for the sake of good order. Okay? This is the mark of the Lord. The mark of the beast is always a mockery. Remember what I told you about 666? Why is 666 the number of the beast? Because 6 is the number of man. And therefore is often considered to be the number of the fall of man. 6. And where God is 3, the devil laughs at him and is 666. Look at this. 666. Dead, dead, dead. That's who your people are. Dead, dead, dead. I don't need to be Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I can just be dead, dead, dead. That's me. Look at them. You're crown jewel of creation and they're all dead. 666. That's my number. Unholy Trinity. Okay. So the devil mocks. The devil is God's ape. We talked about this a couple years ago in vacation Bible school and I had this really neat revelation. And I'll, I'll tell it to you here. So the devil is God's ape. That's a medieval saying. 12th, 13th century, I think, I think, but don't, Quote me on that. Um, I don't remember which theologian wrote it. The devil is God's ape. What does an ape do? Well, it's, it's like that great song from Harry Belafonte. You kids, if you don't know Harry Belafonte, man, you don't know what you're missing. Harry Belafonte, you gotta, this is your homework. This is the kind of homework you get in catechumenate, okay? Your homework is that you need to go and you need to listen to at least one Harry Belafonte song. Harry Belafonte sang a song called Monkey, the, the Monkey, I think is what it is. If you Google it, you'll find out what it really is. But, but it's all about monkey see, monkey do. And he's, his, the whole song is that he's living his life and there's this monkey that is for some reason following him around and everything that he does, the monkey does. And then the monkey ends up stealing his girl because <laughs> the monkey learns all his moves. <laughs> I drink gin, monkey, drink gin too. Every little thing the monkey do too. Okay? That's the whole song. Everything that I do is the, what the monkey's doing. And that's what the devil does. Anything God does, well, he tries to do. He's an ape, though, because he can only mimic. He can't come up with anything original. He just has to try and do what he's already seen, but he can't ever do it quite right. And that's why when you read the Chronicles of Narnia, the first time you ever hear about an ape out of all the talking beasts of Narnia, the first time you hear about an ape is in the last book, The Last Battle, which is my favorite of all of the books because it's all eschatological. It's all about the end times. And the main antagonist is an ape. And what does the ape do? He finds a lion skin in the forest and he puts it on a donkey so the donkey can pretend to be Aslan the lion, which of course, Aslan is the, the beastly version of, beastly as in like a beast, not as in animal-ish. Animal he is the animal version of Jesus. And the donkey puts it on and pretends to be him. And the ape tells him, now say this. This is what Aslan would say. And he is an ape. He mimics. But it's always a poor imitation. And everybody follows him. It is, yes. There's a, there's a lot of really sad things. But honestly, more and more, that book almost seems prophetic in, a, in the same way that scripture is prophetic because you look around at the world 
And even the people that have something right in front of their eyes are so blind that they can't see what's right, in fr right there, right in front of you. You can't see that? Nope, can't see it. Because they've decided that they're not going to see it, so they never will. There's also the great line in that book because they get thrown into the, into the barn. Everything happens in a barn, and it's like Doctor Who's TARDIS. Sorry, nerd alert. It's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. So they go into a stable, into this barn, and it's way bigger on the inside than what it looks like. And one of the children says, ah, our, in our world too, a stable once was much bigger on the inside and held something that was too big for our world to contain. Isn't that great? Okay. Uh, my wife and I are, of the, we are both of the same opinion that Tolkien was a better writer than Lewis. Without a doubt, he was. But the Chronicles of Narnia, for me, hit home in a way the Lord of the Rings just don't. Maybe that's just because I'm not smart enough to get the Lord of the Rings. Uh, but, but Narnia hits home. So this, they, they're thrown into the stable. It's bigger on the inside. But that's where the donkey hides. And everybody follows. He's God's ape because he's enough like him that they think maybe he could be him. So the devil is an ape. He just mimics. So his signs mimic the signs of God. Uh, think about this too. It's like... In Exodus, when Moses goes to Egypt and he does the signs, and what do Pharaoh's magicians do? They mimic. Yeah, they mimic. You don't have to raise your hand in catechumen at Memphis. You're a good, polite boy, but this is the place where you don't have to be as polite. So if you know the answer, just yell it at me. Okay? Uh, yes, they, they mimic. Now, I don't want you to think that when we say they mimic that they're just like stage magicians now where it's all an illusion. They're really doing that. They're doing it by another power. Okay. But when they make the serpents, what happens to their serpents? They're eaten by the Lord's serpent devoured, swallowed up. And uh, then they get to a certain point where they say, yeah, we, can't, we can't keep up with these signs. We can't do this anymore because this is the finger of God. We weren't operating by the finger of God, but he is, and it's beyond our ability. Okay? So baptism brings you into the body of Christ. It brings you into Christ. It marks you then as one who belongs to Jesus, it marks you as a house that Jesus lives in, and it marks you as one who is entitled to all of the rights and all of the privileges that are received then in the body. That's why I say what is given at the font is nourished at the altar. Baptism and the Eucharist go hand in hand. If you're now alive, you have to eat. And so when we say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, it's not just the way we begin. 
Sometimes, I get a little bit irritated about this because people will, pastors will sometimes try to be cute and they'll go, all right, blah, 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 now we'll just go ahead and make our beginning in the name of the Father. And that's not entirely accurate. It's, it's kind of cutesy and church really isn't about being cutesy. We're not just making our beginning. It's not like saying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is how we begin and saying amen is how we end. That's not it at all. It is a continuance, if it is anything, that we're returning to the name that's been put on us and the name that works on us and the name that has the power to save and the name that does save and the name that says he's here. So when we call upon the name, we're calling upon the one who is the name, that is the Lord himself, who is here and we know he's here because his name is here. It's not like we get together and use that like Captain Planet. Where's Captain Planet? I don't know. We've got to summon him. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Power, go. Wing. And then God is there. Ah, now I've been summoned. That's not really how it is. God is there and we call upon him and acknowledge the fact that this is his house and that we are his houses and that he is here and that's his name and that's his power. And here's what's going to happen here. He's going to give us some good things. Okay? So uh, the name of God and the sign of the cross are important because if you see God face to face, you get, <coughs> you get destroyed. But when you have God's name, everything now works for you because, hey, oh, you're one of mine. Okay, great. Well, come on in. Come on in, okay? So the assurance of God's presence is found in his name. How do you know that God's with you? Because he put his name on you. You belong to me now. And just like the temple of Solomon, where my name is, there I will dwell. So how do you know he's with you? Because you have the name. So when you feel like you are all alone, make the sign of the cross. Because it's a reminder to you that you have the name and the power there, and that in the name he is with you, the fullness of himself, not just a piece of him. It's not like he's sitting next to you on his phone and you're trying to talk to him and say, uh-huh, yeah, okay, that's nice, yeah, all right, good, good, good. No, why don't you go run and play along for a while? He's, he's attentive to you. Mm, okay, yeah, really? Well, okay, great. He's there for you, he's with you. Um, the name of God makes you his. You don't get to, you don't get to belong to yourself. Wherever God put puts his name, that's where he lives. We know that he takes possession of it. That's why we kick out the, anything that's in there before. That's why baptism starts with an exorcism. Uh, the, there's a church father who says that we, before we build the walls around the city, we kick the enemy out. What's the point of building the wall if we're just going to have the enemy still in there? So we kick him out. Baptism starts with an exorcism. We're conceived and born in sin. We're dead. We don't belong to ourselves, certainly, and we don't belong to God, but he has claimed us. His blood has won us, purchased and won us, as the Catechism says, and he makes us his own. Here he is. The name is affixed to you. We have five minutes. 
And I don't have time to do, to jump into all of this new stuff. So are there any questions about what the name does for you, it, that it makes you, your, it makes you God's, that he's closer to you than you are to yourself. That's what St. Augustine says, the Lord is closer to us than we are to ourselves. It's like saying he's closer to you than your own skin is close to you. So that whenever you feel like you're alone or unloved, you can always say, I am never alone and I am never unloved because Jesus is here, I have the name. And if you don't believe it, make the sign of the cross. Kick the devils out, make them run away, remind yourself of the name. He's taken ownership of you, which is great. C.S. Lewis has a quote, I believe it's in the Screwtape Letters, which is one of those books where you read it the first time and you laugh because you think it's comedy. And then you read it the second time and you don't laugh as much. And then you read it the third time and you don't laugh at all because it becomes scary. And the Screwtape Letters is just a collection of letters, one-sided letters, from an archdemon in hell named Screwtape to his nephew Wormwood. And Wormwood is kind of a screw-up. And he's assigned a, a man in England that he's supposed to kind of haunt and be a demon to. And so you only get Screwtape's side of, a, of, of the a story because he's responding to all the things that Wormwood is writing to him. My dear Wormwood, I am so disappointed to hear that you let this man go to church. You should have distracted him with how busy he was or how tired he was or all of this. Those are the things that will really stop a person from going to church because you and I both know that if they go to church, they're getting something that's going to make them stronger. You must keep them away and here's how to do it. And then you read it and, you, and, and the first time you say, that's pretty imaginative, look at that, it's funny. And then the third time you read it and you say, oh my goodness gracious, I see how that works in my own life. It's like a play-by-play -play of how the devil actually works. So one of the things that Screwtape says is, our enemy, which is Christ, claims ownership by reason of the fact that he has made them. But our great king, which is Satan, he will claim ownership on the grounds of conquest. He wants to go and steal. He wants to have a conquest. He wants to have his city. But then you come here and we kick him out and we build walls around the city and Jesus comes in and then he lives there and his name is on the place and... Now they don't get to come in, okay? All right, questions about any of that? That's where we'll stop. We'll get into some nuts and bolts next time, okay? So, hand of blessing, it's the name of Jesus. It's put on you. Make the sign of the cross. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right to left. Touch your fingers in the living water of the baptismal font when you come into church. Remind yourself, hey, this is where I come from. This is how I get to be here. This is Jesus with me. And even if you don't, at least look at the font when you walk in and be reminded that you're walking in here by virtue of the water. I'm going to the other side by, through water, walking on dry ground, and all of the foes who chased me, who rode on my back, get drowned and die in the water behind me like Pharaoh and his army. Okay? All right, let's pray. 
So page 282. Page 282. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, have mercy and us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered in Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day, from the dead, he ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. And grant us your salvation. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. And let your saints shout for joy. Lord, keep this nation under your care. And guide us in the way of justice and truth. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Gracious Jesus, our Lord and our God, at this hour you bore our sins in your own body on the tree, so that we, being dead to sin, might live unto righteousness. Have mercy upon us now and at the hour of our death, and grant to us, your servants, with all others who devoutly remember your blessed passion, a holy and peaceful life in this world, and through your grace, eternal glory in the life to come, where with the Father and the Holy Spirit you do live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. The Lord bless us, defend us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Amen. All right. Have a great day. Take some food home. There's fruit. There's muffins. Take some muffins. Okay, good. If there's eggs left, you can take those too. Mm -hmm.